Hi everyone, welcome to Fox 42 Goes Paranormal. I'm your host, Jenna Liston. And I'm Jennifer Schmidt. Two newsies who have been given the challenge to take on haunted excursions around Nebraska and Iowa. Every month, we'll take you somewhere new with local investigative groups who try to change our perspectives on the existence of the paranormal. Follow us along as we take you through today's hunt. Your, your investigation, investigation starts now. So we survived. Barely. I'm still recovering from it. I'm not going to lie. I, I still feel very tired, but I also had a busy day before we went, and I think that has a lot to do with it. Yeah. I I don't know. We Seth and I didn't do anything yesterday. I was just down and out of it. I know you texted me saying, are you feeling okay? Mm-hmm. And I was like, you know, not so much. Like, I jokingly took a picture of myself on Snapchat just looking like... I had had the wildest night out. I woke up and I felt like I had been hit by a truck and I couldn't tell if that was because of the experience we had just had or of all the coffee and lack of water we did not have. <laughs> I know for me, part of it was standing for that long. Mm -hmm. Definitely wore me out, but I don't know. I don't, we're, know. I don't know. We're kind of like zony right now, I feel like. Yeah. But we're going to do the best to recap it because <laughs> this is really important and ultimately it was it was a great experience i thought it was yeah it, it was definitely was very interesting and so jen kind of took the reins last time and giving us a history on the squirrel cage jail i was the one this time that kind of handheld the camera and followed around the squirrel cage jail museum manager so she did an excellent job explaining to us kind of the back history of each cell um and other really interesting artifacts I guess you'd call them in the museum so and Jen got a lot of the footage um, with the paranormal group itself so we kind of split ways for a minute but that's kind of where I'm going to take over and do my best to explain this I wrote a <laughs> lot of notes down <laughs> but hopefully it flows as best as Jen did the first time so one of the things I found um, that was interesting was we talked about last time that there were about three of these um, types of jails that we know about. There's, Still. Yes. There's one here in Indiana and then where else? Missouri. Missouri. So, but this one is the largest one that they have because it's three levels, they said. So that was really cool that we were in one of the largest ones that they had. Um, but so we kind of started the tour in this booking room and that's kind of where you start the tour. What was weird was that they were able to keep their matches and cigarettes, which was like, I don't, I mean, wouldn't you kind of think that everything needs to be taken away? You would think that cigarettes are kind of a luxury and they should earn those. Yeah. Uh -huh. And then like the matches, I mean that can start a fire yeah <laughs> like they already had to give up their shoelaces and everything like that but you know matches they're fine yeah they're you're, fine. you're all good no worries keep them so the other thing she showed me that was in that booking room was solitary confinement and didn't realize how small it was i think like when i think solitary confinement i think of you're strapped up in a white jacket and thrown in a plucky room. Is that <laughs> not right? crazy? Well, I mean, is that not right? <laughs> when I envision a solitary confinement, it's like, I don't know, it's not a very big room, maybe like the size of a normal bathroom. And like and a, there's just a bed, there's just a toilet, no windows. And there's like a slot where they can like slide you food. Yeah, that's what I envision. But this one, I mean, I can't even, I don't know the dimensions, but just think of like 
a square. Like, mm-hmm. I don't... It was literally only big enough to stand up in. You could not sit down. You could not turn around. You couldn't do anything but stand there. Yeah, and we are women. I mean, we're shorter than these men were. Mm-hmm. And that's a, another thing I thought about was like, I mean, you have guys that are six feet plus in here and they have to probably bend over to be in that place. So anyway, what they would do is put them, it was meant for them to be in there for 30 minutes to an hour. I mean, that would make me crazy as it is. Yeah. But the longest on record was 10 days. I, d- I wonder if they ever let them out. Like, you would think they'd have to let them out to go to the bathroom or to eat. Like, otherwise that would be kind of inhumane, wouldn't it? Yeah, that's true. I didn't think about the bathroom thing. I mean, the food, I can see how they could, like, slide them through some food. Right. But... I mean, I guess we never figured out, like, what exactly he did to be in there for 10 days. But she told me it was something serious, obviously. It had to be, yeah. Yeah, it's like your break time is a bathroom break. Anyway, so that was super cool. And we started in there. And so then she took us through to the actual jail cells themselves. So each level was meant for something different. So if you're on the lowest level, it was kind of like you did a crime, personally, a crime that you really shouldn't have been in there for. I mean, she said that people were in there for, like, crossing on the wrong side of the road, Mm -hmm. stealing a chicken. I was just like, eh. So it's not, you didn't pay your fine, you were thrown in jail. So you're in there with some violent inmates that are on the third floor. Anyway, so the most normal are probably on the bottom. It gets worse as you get up to the top. And then you are in those cells with someone else. So you, you really hope your roommate is normal. You don't get a say. And like we mentioned they are pie-shaped rooms and they were tiny so small yeah it was like the size of a large bathtub i would say like that wide and and long i guess i was gonna say that's a big bathtub (laughs) (laughs) a large bathtub (laughs) i'm like thinking really hard like a bathtub i haven't taken a bath in a long maybe like a jacuzzi tub those with like the okay yeah yeah i think that's even being a little bit generous But that's a good, that's a pretty good, I mean, it gets smaller, like a piece of pie. Right. So it gets smaller towards the back. And in the back is a, like, uh, toilet. Yeah. And it was a kind of weird, like, makeshift. It looked like a porta potty. You just lift it up and it just kind of goes down. But anyway, that was kind of what the jail cells were. And then she told us that the idea was that they only needed one or two jailers at a time. So, like she mentioned that there were 60 to 90 inmates in there at a time. I mean, you said earlier, you're like, it kind of makes sense because it's not like they're dealing with them all the time. Right. And I mean, with them being in the the rotating jail cell and you can only open them if that door is perfectly aligned, it's, it's not like there's a very high risk of them getting out. Yeah. I just, I don't know why for some reason I'm like one or two people. I mean, it's like if something goes wrong. That would be scary. Yeah. I mean you guys have to really rely on each other and they they did bring that up too because when you're walking through the place um the doorways that you go through are just so small and i'm i'm not a small person i'm also not huge but i had to turn sideways to get through those doorways and they said um the reason they did that is it was harder for them for like a mob to get through and that that freaked me out yeah that was kind of freaky and just and being in there in the dark, too, and having to go through those Ugh. small doorways with all of our gear, it just, it, I don't know. 
It got a little claustrophobic at times. Oh yeah, I will definitely, we'll go into that. Anyway, so we were still going through that facility and are kind of the jail cells, jail hail. <laughs> we were going through the jail cells and there were a lot of mannequins, which Ugh. I know. I was like almost to the point of mad. <laughs> I get it. But every which way you turned, there was a freaking mannequin laying in a bed you see its feet i mean and they would be all over the place so you couldn't tell and not every room had one so Mm -hmm. it's like is this supposed to be a fun surprise because i'm getting annoyed (laughs) (laughs) like it just when i was recording the whole time so we'll have to like play some audio because oh my god i jumped so bad It's like every time. That's Manny. He gets everyone. Photo of that figure standing. It's gonna be. Oh, jeez. I don't know. Wait, don't do that. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to do this. <laughs> don't do <laughs> But anyway, so there is one part that had on like the second or third level a hand sticking out, and I asked, "What's up with the hand?" And she said, "When." After a while, when people were in inmates, um, would kind of figure out how it all worked, they would stick out their limbs, either their hands or their legs, to purposefully break them when that cell would turn. And the reason they did that is so they could go up into the infirmary. And I mean, thinking about it now, I mean, obviously we're not in jail, but it's like you do anything to get out of that cell. I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, so they would do that and go up to the infirmary. And she said in the winter times, it was a luxury because it was well heated. Just there's a bed in there. I mean, you're getting taken care of. In the summertime, you didn't want to be in there because there's no air conditioning and just hot as all get out. But one of the other things she mentioned is that one person when we went into the infirmary was apparently laying in the hospital bed. He had broken his arm I believed and he managed to like punch through the wall and climb out of the building like he got in through the ceilings and made his way out of the jail successfully and just just took off did they catch him they did okay that was my suspense (laughs) sorry no (laughs) I was like um yeah they did but I think they brought him back a few days later and I was like well what a buzzkill and she's like you know what the biggest buzzkill is is that the people who would turn these when they were out the people who would turn them in would be like family members or children I'm like you brats (laughs) but that was just like my takeaway and there were never any doctors on um there were never doctors at the facility they had to be called in so we saw a lot of the things that doctors would use but all of that stuff was not technically there they just would have to bring him in so moving on to other parts of the jail there were photos that were hung up all over the cells um a lot of them ranged from either booking mug shots and those were fascinating because i mean those are real people Mm -hmm. that were in here so just kind of gave you that eerie vibe But there were also photos from paranormal groups that had found things and the museum takes, I mean, everything and anything they can get. They find it fascinating too. They want to work with these groups 
So the group we went with, the Great Plains Supernatural Investigators, we saw a photo that they took, and Jen's, like, rolling her eyes because it's <laughs> freaky. It, it really was. Like, just, can you describe it? So it was taken up on, I believe it was the second floor, um, taken from one room, and then it showed the staircase in the middle, and then it, it went into the next room, which was like an apartment-type style room. And in the picture, you can see a completely outlined, dark shape of a human standing there. And if you look at the arm in the bottom, you see the person's hand. It's clear as day. And the person that took it even said it looks like they're holding a gun in their hand, which... Hmm. I, I could see it a little bit, but I, I was just focused on how clear the hand was. Yeah. I mean, it, it looked like a real person. It was scary. Well, then they said that after looking at it even more, and, I mean, also coming from the biggest skeptic over here, I'm just like, okay, whatever. But they, like, showed me his... When you see his hand, you go up just a little bit, and on the arm, you see, like, this outline, this, like, kind of whitish gray outline. It looks like a patch that's on the person's arm or jacket, and they said that they did more investigating on it, and that was, like, what the exact patches of those jailers would wear. It was just like, that's crazy to, like, make that all add up. And Yeah. What a cool find. So... And well, and during the investigation, too, I was asking him about the picture a little bit more, and he says they've sent it off to multiple different places to have them analyze it. And it, they've all come back and said that that's real. That is not Photoshopped. That's not... That's not fake. Yeah. Which I, makes it ten times creepier. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm just like, good. Ugh. So, we'll have to post a picture uh, of that on in the web article and then also on our Instagram so you guys can take a look. Another thing that was an artifact in there was a noose. Mm. And we were thrown off by that. I, I didn't even understand it. I mean, it's in like a glass case as newspapers surrounding it kind of retelling this story. But apparently these two people by the name of Charles Brown and Charles Kelly went on a shooting spree and were picked up in Council Bluffs uh, and essentially hung in Pottawatomie County. And so that was the noose from the last hanging near the area. I think in Pottawatomie County. Yeah. And what she said. So the reason that it's in there is because the deputy who worked at the jail, the squirrel cage jail, was the one who pulled the noose from them. Can you imagine? I think it would be cool. And I don't know if you guys did it while I was down in the other room doing like an EVP session near those and see if you can get anything. That's really true. I feel like there was a lot of places that, I mean, the place was so big. Next, we took a look at the handle that would actually crank the jail to turn it around. A wild concept. So it looked like a bolt and you attached this handle to it and you would have to crank it yourself to turn. So it's all man-made power. And when we were turning it, I'm like, oh yeah, easy breezy. Well, throw in 60 to 90 men and women in there. And all of the weight of the cages. So then we headed up to Juvie, and that is where any child from three years old to 13 was put in there. They had some pretty, this is terrible to say, they had some pretty nice cells. I mean, better than what their parents were getting. Mm -hmm. But it was like, they because <laughs> they did have windows. But it's like, if your mom or dad were in jail, 
or you were old enough and you were kind of doing some bad stuff and you were committing crimes like you were in there but if you're a kid and your parents are in there you're in there too and they said the reason for that was because child protective services wasn't around yet which there had to have been other alternatives a family friend family grandparents i don't know anything would be better than putting them in jail too i guess if the circumstances came down to it, though, and they didn't have family around her. Yeah. But how terrible is that? It's very unfortunate. How do you even... Ex- I'm not... I don't want to, like, stick on this too long, but how do you even explain that to a child? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. That's just terrible. So, that was really... We spent a lot of time in there, too, so we will definitely dive into that. We got to see where the jailers lived. So, we said there's about one to two of them living there at a time. So, originally, there were a couple bedrooms on the fourth floor from what I saw and so that's where they lived and I mean it was away from the inmates I guess but the problem was that there was like this ventilation system so this is where the smells come into place because you open this door and you can see the very very top of all the third floor cells So all of the smells and all of the sounds from those cells would rise up into this essentially like a vent area and you can only imagine how bad it smelled. I mean, people who weren't showering, the bathrooms are in there. Yeah, they used a system to, for the bathrooms, but oh my gosh. So apparently one of the jailers made their own they took out some of the rooms for the juvie area and made their own room. Oh, okay. So that's where, and I believe that area is where that paranormal group found the outline of the jailer. Oh, in was that in that apartment. room because that's the one with the bathroom, right? Mm-hmm. And now it's all adding up. I guess why he would be in there. Yeah, I think that was um, kind of the majority of what the tour was we'll definitely include more into our actual segment this is kind of like to get you guys to watch the actual segment but to give you a little (laughs) bit more behind the scenes and more personality behind it too so now we're going to talk more about setting up and the actual investigative team we worked with that night so going into it seeing how much equipment they had it really made me feel like we were going to have a better chance of catching something because they had they had um, infrared cameras. They had um, digital cameras that could take pictures in the dark. And they had um, every single person that we were with. And there were six people that were there. And that wasn't even the whole team. So each one of the six people was wearing a recorder that was recording the whole night. So they have to go back through and listen to all of their own um, recorders. But it just going into it, I was excited because yeah that's a lot of equipment to check after the fact but i feel like there's a better chance of catching something with all of that with all those elements the the mel meter and you know everything they used yeah very true and i mean like when we pulled up i asked jen i'm like so how many people are gonna be here because she's kind (laughs) of like the liaison between these groups and like communicating with them and i chime in when i can but so she kind of knows a gist of who, how many people are going to be there. And she's like, I have no idea. I've just been communicating with this one guy named Mike. And we'll see how it goes. There were six people. Yeah. So it was Mike, his wife, Cassandra, their daughter, and their daughter-in-law. And then there was two other people there with us as well. And like I said before, that that's not even the whole group. Yeah. They have more people. 
which, which I cannot even imagine. Yeah, and and I don't want to like bash them or put any sort of negative light on there. I just, I mean, if you're in a small location, you would have no choice but to not invite everybody because you'd be stepping on each other's toes. There would be, um, like we had that issue when we were investigating is when I was in the room um, watching the, the live feeds of the cameras, you guys were upstairs doing an EVP session, but our voices would travel up and they could get picked up in your guys' EVP session and that could, um, like, that could really impact your results. Yeah, so you have to be quiet and everyone has to cooperate, turn off their phones, turn off everything that could set things off and yeah no I can't even I mean I I'm gonna assume that if they go to like a smaller place like they're not gonna like open it up to everybody who wants to come but hey I have no idea and Mm -mm. I think it worked out though because that it was a huge place so like we had a lot of room to spread out it was just like the main kitchen area where we set up you it was like sardines in there you know packed yeah Yeah, that room was very very small (laughs) yeah so not the biggest fan of the kitchen area no, and it didn't help that we we had set all of our gear in there. They had put all of their gear, all the bags, everything, chairs, people sitting in there. Thank goodness they brought snacks, though. Oh. <laughs> Shout out to you guys for bringing snacks. You kind of saved us. Yeah, those, well, those <laughs> snacks saved us later on, or at least saved me because I was oh. not feeling good. We'll get into that too. Yeah. God. So we talked um, with them and we literally just watched them set up. I mean, they were throwing cords and setting up cameras all throughout that place. They were not joking around. It was crazy town. I loved it. I did too. I felt bad because I felt like I was in the way a lot trying to get video of them setting up and I felt kind of (laughs) bad, but I'm like, this is so interesting. I just, I want to get all of this. Yeah. So like once we had that all situated, it was pretty much smooth sailing from there. Jen initially got to sit in the kitchen area and kind of watch all the cameras with one of the members too. So she got to really see like what was happening in each room if we weren't present in that exact room. And then I got to go with the group up to the fourth floor. That's the very first place that we went. So We went up to the fourth floor and that's where the jailers originally lived and that's where that ventilation system was where it smelled really bad and we set it we set a mel meter or i believe an emf in the middle of the room and about i'm gonna say one two three four i mean six of us were in there and just surrounding this thing kind of talking to it originally at first nothing was happening it was just sitting on a green light at the very lowest it could so there was nothing no activity going on um Mike had a camera out kind of taking pictures a few times some radios went off so it's kind of like everybody needed to like adjust so we could be quiet and really like get into this situation but they were asking really good questions and just communicating and something that I've noticed so far we've only done this with two paranormal groups but a lot of people really bring us in like us as in Jennifer and I into the conversation because they say things like are you nervous because the news people are here? Are you afraid of being on TV? And so that kind of like freaks me out personally because I'm like, ew, like I don't want to be like, <laughs> directly <laughs> contacting with the dead. And I, it's just, but I mean, it gets the conversation going. So I'm not kidding you. I believe that was the question that they asked and that thing started spewing off. And I was like, no way. And they said that that was the most activity they have seen from that melmeter ever. And I caught it all on camera. So we'll definitely show you guys in the actual segment itself. Um, 
I mean, it was just wild. And once that happened, I mean, it was going crazy, 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 and then just died. So, and, like, we were trying to get it to, like, you know, communicate more. And they brought up, like, stuffed animals for it and, like, food to figure out, like, if it was a jailer or if it was a child or an inmate. We never really got, I guess, an exact answer from that. Um, and my first actual thought was... I brought this up too is we work so much with law enforcement so maybe that was something like she got that question triggered of news people and like maybe it was someone in a jailer I don't know that was just me like speculating so but that was kind of the vibe we got from that room exciting stuff and yeah I will say I feel like this investigation compared to the last one, we split up much more. Yes. So we definitely had completely different experiences. Um, you got to go out with the group more and, and watch them use the different equipment. And I don't know. I feel like you, you have a, a stronger connection slash story to tell about this place. It wasn't bad. I mean, I, I was excited. I really... It's... I hope we find, like, a better way to do this, but I think, like, it is, like, helpful to split up. I just, like, wish, like, we could experience these things together, like mm -hmm. we did the first time, because I think that, like, Jen and I kind of, like, give each other looks, or, like, we can, you know, telepathically communicate <laughs> with each other, but just, I didn't, like, know, like, what she was experiencing down there, and, like, what I was, so, I mean, we got to switch off later, but, yeah, we definitely had a few different experiences with this um, trip. And so that, with that being said, we went into the juvenile center, juvenile detention area, and that is another really weird experience that we had. So we were bringing the toys, we brought cookies, we were like trying to talk to them, and there was this one specific room where I believe it was a little girl, I don't quote me on that, but it was like the very last cell, and we put our stuff up again, and it was starting, the light was starting to go off too. Another melmeter that one of the investigators had in their hand, they actually put it on the table near the girl's bed. So we were asking it questions. It was kind of starting to go off. And then, so here's the thing, and I'm going to be honest because we're not here to lie about anything. I had my GoPro and it's the station's GoPro, but we were using it to just kind of get different angles and everything. I had no idea that there is Wi-Fi on the Hero 4. Mm. So when we mentioned earlier turning off everything electronic, anything that can get a signal or try to, I totally forgot about that. So when it was kind of going off or when I would get closer to it with the GoPro, it would go off like crazy. So one of the members brought that up to me and I was like, oh man, had no clue. So I turned it off, kept it far away. I actually, that's when I came down to switch with you because I was like, let's just get out of here completely to see what happens. Mm -hmm. But, um, so it, it made me start thinking again, of course, the skeptic I am, I'm like, okay, so what we experienced upstairs was that all a lie because I had the GoPro near it, but that's not true because I was using the actual camera to record and the GoPro was way behind me. Mm -hmm. So it was going off like crazy. After it did that, I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm going to grab my GoPro to try to get another shot of it. I mean, I got really close to that thing. Nothing happened. Hmm. So I, I really don't think it did much of a difference with that first experience, but it was just something that later on I was like, man, I had no idea, and I kind of feel bad. So I don't know, but that happened, and every single person going back to that room, there were, um, there was Mike's daughter and Mike's daughter-in-law who, they started getting sick. Yeah. 
that was freaky. So you were up with them in that room. Correct. And I was sitting down in the kitchen area watching the feed on the cameras. And all of a sudden, Mike's daughter-in-law comes just ripping down the stairs. And she she's not running, but she's going fast. And she comes into the kitchen area, sits down. She puts her head down. She's, like, rubbing her head because she's got a headache. And there's, a like, a stabbing pain in her forehead. And she's putting her hair up. And she's just really hot. And she's has something affecting her. And she's just like, I don't feel well. I feel really dizzy. I had to get out of there. And then um, a few minutes later, Mike's daughter comes down the stairs, sits right next to her. And she says she's not feeling well. She's got a headache. And she's... She's not feeling well, and she's dizzy. And she was in that same room. Right. And then a few minutes later, their mom came down, Cassandra did, and she said she was feeling kind of dizzy, too. So three people within about five to ten minutes all came down from that same exact room saying they weren't feeling well, and they felt dizzy. It was weird. Yeah. And you even said that you weren't feeling great up there. Yeah, I... So it was just uh, one of the investigators and I in the room at that point because everybody had left because they weren't feeling good. And I I remember them vocally saying that out loud, but it was just kind of like, wasn't, it was one after the other, but it was pretty spaced out. So like, I think people were really trying hard not, if they, if they didn't feel good, they were really trying not to like leave the situation, but they apparently didn't, all that stuff was happening. I had no idea they were acting like that downstairs because I was in there kind of trying to talk and... And that's another thing, too, is that I can't tell if it was, like, a mind game for me. It's, like, you know, how it bounces off. It's, like, oh, yeah, you don't... I don't feel good. Like, do you? And so you start thinking. So for a minute, I really wasn't feeling too high. And then I got a little bit better. And then I came back downstairs with all of you guys to recap and switch out with you. And I just, like, got this huge wave of a headache. So I... That is the thing that I cannot specify for sure because it could have been, like I said, lack of water, too much caffeine from the coffee, um, a lot of emotions going on, or it could have been a spirit. So I really, I have no idea about that one, but it was just kind of weird that everybody didn't feel very good. Yeah, like right in the same area. It It was weird. Yeah, and so from there, I kind of, I switched out with you, and you went off, and you had your own experiences, too. I did. So I, after Jenna and I switched, we, um, so she took over watching the video screens, uh, the live feed that they had up, and I went and walked around with the daughter-in-law and the daughter, and as we were going back to be by the solitary confinement area, we were walking down that hallway, I was using the camera as a light source following them and I walked by this display cabinet that was about waist high for me and I felt something like swipe at my hip and I didn't freak out as much as I thought I would honestly and I really 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 hope the camera was running we haven't gone through all of our video yet at this point um, so I really hope I was recording but I felt something touch my side and I kind of backed away, and then I started to go into to my mode of, okay, what just happened? So I lean up against this display cabinet, and I try to figure out where that hits on my body, and it hits lower than where I was touched. And then I'm thinking, okay, well, I've got the camera in my hand, so maybe it was my elbow hitting my side. My elbow does not hit there. So something touched me, something swiped at me, and it, it wasn't very big, so it didn't feel like a person's hand or anything. 
and I, I don't know what it was, but something did like a quick swipe. Ew. Uh, I don't know what it was. I remember you being pretty shook by that. I remember you coming in and telling me, and I was like, whatever, Jen. Like, it was probably the bookcase or something. <laughs> but, like, no, you were, like, really sold, like, on what I, happened. Initially, I was like, oh, I hit I hit the, the um, display case. But going and leaning up against it and realizing that that's lower than where I was touched, it it freaked me out. Was that kind of the only experience, like, you would say that you really had? You said that there was something else with, like, my, or the rods, right? Hello, everybody listening to the podcast. This is Jennifer. I do just need to cut in here for a second. Um, in this next section, I'm talking about dowsing rods, but I keep referring to them as dowel rods, which is incorrect. Yeah, so they use dowel rods. We went back into the shower area, um, and I think it was, was it ever? There was one, two, three, four, five of us there. Um, not including myself. So there were six total. And they went back into the shower area and they had the dowel rods, which um, they're kind of like L-shaped. Um, and you hold them, you have one in each hand. And depending on if the two rods cross and make an X or if they go further apart from each other and make like a really wide V, um, it's either yes or no. And I can't remember which one was which, uh, but they would ask questions and they would, they'd move. And in the past, I've always been a skeptic of dowel rods yeah. because a lot of the ones that I've seen, it's just been the L-shaped rod and there's nothing, like, mm. like no handle or anything where you're actually holding. So you're holding the, just the one piece, the one rod. So I'm like, okay, you can just like turn your hands and have a turn. But the ones they were using had like a, like a shell casing around it. Yeah. So you weren't touching the actual rod. You were holding the casing and the rod was in that. And so it could be a free form moving thing on its own. And I mean, they were moving like crazy. Like, and they, there were two people holding them. So there were four of the dowel rods total. And Mike was asking questions and the, the dowel rods would point towards him. And um, they would, they'd cross and they'd go apart and answer questions and it was free. I, I know for a fact I got that on video. And one of the things when we were doing the questions with the dowel rods, Mike had a flashlight in his pocket and it's one with a clip on the side. So he had it in his pocket and the clip was on the outside of his pocket. At one point, the flashlight came out and fell onto the floor and crashed on the floor. And he hadn't bent over or anything. So it's not like um, his knee or anything or his leg didn't bunch up and push it out he was standing straight up he was asking questions and it just whoop, did he have anything his in his hands or did you see like did you have light on him he had what did he have i know he had a piece of equipment i can't remember no because the daughter-in-law had the camera and then the daughter had the video camera and i think he had like a either a melmeter or something in his hand and then something i think he had a camera or something pointing at it i know he had at least one piece of equipment but yeah, he and he even after it happened, he's like, I was not even touching that. And like he wasn't using it. It was just in his pocket clipped. Hmm. So I don't know what happened. Yeah, I'm there. like getting goosebumps right now. Because I don't want to believe it, but I also like don't know. <laughs> it was weird. I mean, we had a lot of weird experiences. I don't know. So and that was kind of like the ending of our trip um yeah. at the squirrel cage jail so we you know wrapped up and kind of got out of there pretty quickly because 
one, it was just creepy and it was pretty late at the time. So <laughs> it, I don't, I guess, what are your like final thoughts on it? Like, was it something that kind of like lived up to your expectations or? So as far as the group itself, I was very impressed with the amount of equipment and the type of equipment and that they had live feed cameras that we could watch the whole night. Um, I was impressed by that because it made it feel like more of a professional setting and like I don't want to say the other group that we worked with didn't take it seriously but like I don't want to say that at all it's just they had more equipment and I, I don't know I I thought that was neat um, as far as the general feeling of the place I didn't have the heebie-jeebies as much as Malvern Manor Malvern yeah. Manor just being in there it was just unsettling but being in the squirrel cage jail, I I felt fine. Even with the lights out, I wasn't that impacted. You like didn't go it. to the bathroom in the dark. I did not go into the bathroom in the dark. I did. <laughs> I refused to do that. I was like, and I, I guess I'm realizing now, I didn't know that was the freaking room that had that picture taken in it. So I'm like, yep. get a real, oh my gosh, it was just like way too much for me. But I think as far as experiences and evidence squirrel cage jail is at the top right now yeah granted we only have two investigations under our belt but squirrel cage jail is on top it is a very cool place like i i highly recommend just to go even i i don't know if they do late night tours i have no idea about that but just to even go and like experience that history the fact that that was a real thing for people and what is exciting i didn't know i was going to mention this or not but what's exciting is that they're going to think about or they're trying to get fire crews out there fire departments to plan out to go down there and check to see like the air quality make sure it's okay and it's safe but to see if they can turn it again i think i, I like that they're trying to do that I think that might be problematic and it might stir up some sort of activity. Oh, <gasps> didn't even think about that either. Wow, did not think about that. Because that, having it actually move might trigger some of those spirits to be like, okay, this is like back when we were in jail. Like, n no. So stay tuned for our next episode. We're really excited to show you guys actually on Fox 42 what we experience visually. And that will be airing on March 11th. And if you're watching after that date, uh, you can find the story on our website, fox42kptm.com. Um, and yeah, that, that's the Squirrel Cage deal for you. It was really exciting. And so this is not going to be our last. We'll do another one in April for you. And we can't wait to do another podcast for you guys. 